Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining me here is Len Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Strictly speaking, I wasn't mentally prepared for uh, this episode. I feel like you recovered pretty well. Yeah, I'm regrouping, you know, gathering my faculties together. Things going very well. Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Ready and excited. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I think we're all going to have to raise our level of energy to match Jed. Yeah, no, it's pretty sweet being me. We are not joined, by once again, by regular co-host uh, Lee Younger. Uh, see if you can guess which two episodes we record on the same night. <laughs> he is holding it down, down there at Christ Community Church in Oak Church, Tennessee. We soldier on once again in his stead. And Jed, speaking of how happy you are, yep. do you care to share with the gentle listener the thought that passed your mind that you shared with Glenn and I before we hit record. Sure, absolutely. Well, so we're in Glenn's basement right now, and uh, this is a bit of a multi-purpose area. So, and is this situation sort of a normal situation? Us recording down here? No, just the the way that you feel, what you're experiencing, how how things are going here. Oh yeah, I'm doing great. It's totally normal. Totally normal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I that would, will become you, a pertinent detail. You would declare forward. this normal. I would declare. I would declare it totally normal. Okay. You, as people, I'm about to share a story with. You may think differently. Okay. And you, you may decide to change abruptly the state of our conversation okay. awareness. But okay. to me, it's all normal because I'm in your basement where I am all the time. Sure. You know, it's a multi-purpose space. It's, um, you know, we have uh, some microphones for recording podcasts and we have a staging area and some storage for a lot of stuff that we take to and from the bridge. And, you know, we have some food stuffs down here because, you know, once in a blue moon, we'll have a host team drop out at the last minute and that kind of thing. So, we have, uh, you know, uh, you know, napkins and bottles of ketchup and mustard and that kind of thing, you know, for mm-hmm. those kind of eventualities. So I'm sitting here having a little snack, and I'm eating some uh, white cheddar popcorn, which mm. is, it's one of my favorite things in the world. Right. That does not make me a sophisticate, although no. what's about to happen is mm. definitely not going to make me a sophisticate. But I'm eating my white cheddar popcorn, it's delicious, and I look over, and I can see it right now, it's directly across from me. There's a great big bottle, unopened, of Hidden Valley Ranch Dressing. And I think to right. myself, self, you know what could be a pretty sweet <laughs> snack combo? Be squirting a little ranch dressing in with this wet cheddar popcorn. <laughs> and that, my friends, that's good eating. That's and, what that is. And on that basis, I declare an emergency. As well you should. Yeah. And before you launch into that, because yeah. I have a feeling I know what this emergency is about. Yeah. Before we... Uh, came on air when Jed was mentioning this. Uh, there was a detail changed in that story, which okay. Jed has just revealed in really? himself. Before it was, I'd maybe get some of that uh, ranch dressing, dip this popcorn in it. Yeah. Now, what Jed just said was, maybe I squirt that ranch dressing in this bag of popcorn. <laughs> Whoa. And that is a whole other That's, level. Okay, first of all, let me just share this with you, Jed, Hit because me. this is an intervention. Okay. Okay. It's not been a good year for America. Well, that is definitely Already true. true. It's not been a good couple of years for America. Sure. We need to turn this ship around, <laughs> okay? We've gone as far down as we want to go. Right, yes. We all need to smarten up. Okay. 
behave ourselves. Right. Think of something classy and sophisticated to do and say in the world. Okay. So we need to not be American in order to save America. Correct. <laughs> you with your freaky deaky ranch dressing white cheddar popcorn idea. Yeah. Freaky deaky ranch was a type of Doritos they tried in 1998. Here's what I'm saying. You're taking us in the wrong direction, my man. I think I can fix it. Okay. I think I can fix it. I can class this up. Ah. White cheddar popcorn, yes. Okay. Ranch dressing, yes, but served in a martini glass. That, mm. um, I don't... Uh, I could I could wear a tuxedo. Right. And... No, you could definitely charge $14 for this in Wicker Park. That just doesn't make it a good idea. Yeah, oh, I Hipsters would eat it. But, oh, well, then yeah, I've got nothing. Those people don't like the things because they are classy. Oh! PBR is not a classy beverage. Well, that that's right. not why they like it. No, it, hipsters like to think that they are the answer to the the problems that we're dealing with right. in America. Right. But that's, uh, that, that's not it either. Well, see, the thing about me is it, with hipsters, it's a bit of an affectation. Yeah. It's a thing they're putting on. Yeah. I am from Florida. So, in a That's sense, funny. ranch dressing flows through my veins. Well, whether it should or not, that's probably true, yes. I was raised in the ranch dressing. They were merely adopted by it. Right. That's... I am the ranch dressing bane. Oh, this is what I'm wow. saying. I that's... would watch a remake with just the same movie, but it's Bane, but he's from Florida. <laughs> Yeah, and just he and and he's just every night he just stews in a vat of ranch dressing. That's right. Yeah. And he gets his power from. Yeah. It. He's got the mask and he's got the big coat. Yeah, but it's over a cut off light denim shorts. Yes, right. Yeah, and slide flip flops. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not only is Jed from Florida, the Florida has not left him. No. Yeah. No. Definitely not. In some ways, I imagine that if Jed had gone through with this horrific, horrific plan to, again, let's get the details right, take a <laughs> personal serving bag of white cheddar popcorn and apparently squirt ranch dressing that, in it. That is right <laughs> out. I mean, you'd have to eat it with a fork, of course, but that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. I think a plastic fork. Yeah. I think some mystical Merlin-type figure uh -huh. would have arrived... Right. And declared Jed the crowned prince of Florida. Yep. Okay. And that got me thinking of in a kind of a Game of Thrones right. feudal world. Yeah. What are what are the the talismans we could put on these certain geographical areas? You're talking about the Netflix series uh, Alternate Reality. Yep. Where it's an alternate reality Florida. Yeah. Sure. Where uh, this is what the classy, sophisticated, uh, uh, you know, the you know, house brewer. Yes, yes, you have it exactly right. There's a crest. Yeah, and it's just ranch, just the ranch dressing logo. Ranch, yeah. ranch dressing flowing out of the the, the sure. you know the whatever it is. His his a family seat. Yes, Hidden Valley Keep. Yeah, yes, yes. Is. Well, obviously, you'd have that. You'd have, yeah. you know, always fighting off in attempted invasions from the Orlando-based Disney people. Yes, right, right, certainly. Right, right. The whole army wearing those little hats with the ears on them. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. That's right. Pretty fearsome bunch there. That's right. Very macho, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Reference to a previous 
emergency about yes. a previous article. Yeah. But uh, Jed, how, do you feel you comported yourself well here? To to be, you know, in, in a Floridian sense? I said well. Oh, no. No, not at all. Not at all. But this is the key thing. And this, you know, even more than the ranch dressing, um, this may be the most Florida part of all of this is I feel no shame about any of it. That is pretty Florida. Yeah. Now, speaking of these things, this is a true fact. Earlier today, I sent you a link. Yes. And this link was very, very exciting for you. Yes. Would you like to share uh, the the item that I uh, sent you the link on. Yes. I'm very uncomfortable with the future in which we read our text thread in public. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One time censored. only. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, um, get ready for a little bit of whiplash here because um, this is actually a category of product that I love. And this is, I'm not being sarcastic, this is for real. It's a scented candle. And sure. I love scented yeah. candles. I there really, really do. Yeah. However, it's the scent in question. Oh, This is the reason wow. why Glenn brings it up. For it is the scent... Of Kentucky Fried Chicken Gravy. Well, Jed, close. It's the scent of KFC gravy. They're not legally allowed to call it chicken in the United States anymore. That's right. Now, here's where, in a true... They're not even allowed to call it Kentucky Fried Chicken with quotation <laughs> fingers around it. Now, they tried chicken with only two Ks. They still right. right. That's right. Okay, so in a true Game of Thrones sense, though, here's the agony and the ecstasy of it. On the one hand, yes, that may be the greatest achievement of man. Mankind. Okay. I mean, ranch dressing, white cheddar popcorn is a close second, yeah. but the KFC gravy scented sure. candle. Also, penicillin's in there somewhere. Sure. Yeah, yeah. As a Floridian, I don't the really wheel, believe that. You know. <laughs> but here's the here's the agony of it. The agony is they only made like 200 of them, and oh. it's only available in the UK. Really? They like Kentucky Fried Chicken in the UK. It's having been there recently. Okay. That feels again with America not putting their best foot forward. Definitely not. So I think we're well on the makings of our kind of Game of Thronesy, you know, alternate history of Florida where I am the Archduke of Tallahassee. No I, doubt. I think it's great because at this point I have, you know, my my abomination that I'm obsessed with, which is the white cheddar popcorn. Sure. But I also have the thing I can never have that I'm questing for, which is the KFC gravy candle. Right. Well, I think if we want to, and if we're going to get this on HBO, we're going to have to inject a little uh, gritty, realistic violence here. Right. Sure. You know, every, for some reason that they want to watch this, every kind of medieval movie has the part where they're storming the castle and it's like the boiling oil gets poured over the side, right, the, right. which did happen. Yeah. But uh, I think if you try to invade the Duke of Tallahassee's uh, keep there, it's going to be piping hot KFC gravy just gets dumped on your head. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, we've covered a lot of ground here. We've got sure. a lot in, into a lot of uh, interesting areas here. But I think it's important that we circle back to the part where KFC is very popular. In the UK? In the UK. Okay. I because saw several of them. I, I am... Uh, we have fans in the UK. We need them to report in hip hip cheerio and all that. Yeah. What What is the What is the thing? Because is it a chance that they're eating it right and taking delight in like pretending to be Americans right and so. mocking how terrible it is to be American? Like ha ha ha! Look at me. I'm a redneck eating It's cosplay. Gravy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's one possibility. Another strong possibility, I think, is that due to having a functioning regulatory body, 
over there. Yeah. Uh, they have to serve something that is actually close to actual chicken hmm. oh. in the uh, European establishments. Oh. Now, I don't know if you noticed this and you traveled to, to London, but I was recently in the UK. And there are a couple of, uh, of American establishments, mm. a KFC, a Pizza Hut, mm. that exist over there. And it's clear they decided if we're going to have non-Americans sitting here, we're going to have to kick this whole thing up a notch. Like, yeah. Pizza Hut is a, the ones I walked by were like, sit down mid-tier pizza restaurant. <laughs> For real? Yeah. It was one of those of like, it was somewhere, it was in the center, of, I think it was in the city center of Glasgow. There's like a two-story Pizza Hut. For real? With like, you know, fairly tasteful booths and whatnot. Mm, okay. And it's one of those, somebody clearly said, well, look, we know what we can pull past Americans. Right. We know what they'll eat. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to have to uh, scale this whole thing up a bit. We're going to yeah. break onto the European continent. Look, if you have U.S.-based fast food chains in your country, you have admitted your food has issues. <laughs> you That's have true. cuisine problems in your country, <laughs> and you need to do a, you know what I mean, a rethink. On yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. There's, yeah. We're, again, this is America. We're not putting our best foot forward, but because um, I've I've heard recently that we like deals. Mm. Oh, and doing deals. Okay. And you know there are KFCs in the UK, but there are now Nando's in the US. That's true. And I think that's for true. once we may have come out on the upside of a deal. Yeah, that is definitely if we get Nando's and they get KFC, we've come out on the better part of that. No deal. doubt. On that basis, I think we can declare a culinary emergency off. Yes, but possibly an arterial emergency still in progress. (laughs) Uh, No possibility about it. That's definitely (laughs) happening. Yes, that's right. And again, when we pitch the game of Florida. Yeah. If you will, you know, the seven part ongoing prestige television series. Mm. Um, You know, we got calls on HBO, but it's mainly about subscriptions. We can't we can't get the number for the production department. So we're working on it. But for now, you know, if you want to support that effort, you can. We don't have a Patreon. We don't do that. We but you can sign up for Bridgebox. Ooh, give eight dollars a month, and for now that goes support continue to support our Deacons Division, our part time employees do amazing work at the bridge, getting folks housed and fed, and in uh, job programs and all sorts of amazing stuff that our Deacons do. And uh, I think the Deacons can uh, expect uh, associate producer roles once we get Game of Absolutely. Florida off the ground, and that'll be good for them too. We're continuing this month of February to look at the topic of patience, songs, sermons, Bible studies, all sorts of great stuff about needing to be patient. Say if you're waiting to get your stomach pumped after you tried the popcorn ranch dressing bag. Oh, it's going to happen. You're not going to be like the first priority in the ER, but you say you might have to wait a minute and you might have to think about patience. (laughs) Missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. It comes in anonymously. If you want to write us in a question, you have all the way to the end. I'll give you some ways you can touch this. Question comes in. It's kind of two in one, but I think they're, they're both on the same topic. And, this person emailed in and said, my boyfriend and I have been dating for a while and he has asked for some, quote, sexy pictures, unquote. I'm a Christian in my late 20s and I'm very new to this new school dating game. Is it wrong for Christians to send sexy photos to one another? Not nudes, but suggestive. My inclination is that it is wrong, but I feel like the answer may turn on the sexiness of the photo. That is an uncomfortable amount of times for me to say the word sexy in one question. Sexy. And for that, I apologize. My other question is regarding traveling together. Is it wrong for Christians in dating relationships 
to travel together, hiking trips, skiing trips, etc. I'm a bit legalistic about this, but I believe staying as close to God's word as possible is what God wants for me, as well as not giving the appearance of impropriety. However, my views can prevent me sometimes from seeing what God wants for me specifically in my situation. I think these are both very good uh, things, I, and I think they, they tie in together. So, Glenn, where do we start off with this? Well, first and foremost, it's good to look at the idea of putting off the appearance of something evil, you know, mm-hmm. that, that that is important, it is biblical, it is worth looking at, it, it is worth having the peace of mind to know that, you know, you haven't created the wrong impression in others, so if they have a wrong idea about something, that's just on them. You've done your best on, on your side of that ledger. That's worth looking at, and and I think it is important to do that if you're you know looking at doing travel things together. Or, uh, you know, when my wife and I uh, were engaged, we both moved to the same town. We had a long distance relationship. We both moved here to Chicago, uh, and there was about a three month period, maybe uh, well a little longer than that, actually uh, closer to six, I guess five or six months there, where we were both in the same town, but we weren't married yet. We were engaged and all of that. Uh, but I chose to, to stay at, at the Y, you know, I'd re, you know, rented a little room there. Uh, I heard you can stay there. You, you can stay at the YMCA. I've heard it's fun to stay there. It really is not. <laughs> uh, it was not fun, and I was ready to stop being a bachelor <laughs> as a result. So it was very therapeutic. Sure. But, you know, there was that. Uh, but that no one was really going to see, no one was really going to tell. But it was just one of those things. It it just made sense. We did not have the money, believe me, for that to to make that work. But uh, it was just one of those things of of it's it's better to do that right than to to live in in fear of somebody getting the wrong idea. Well, and as you're saying there, it's, it, I think it's a good thing to stop and point out that's a two pronged strategy. It's good in that it's on one hand, it is just straight up managing temptation. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not mm-hmm. living in the same place. So there's less to go wrong. The other hand, specifically as you guys who are working in full-time ministry and raising mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. it's very good and good strategy to have that answer. Yeah. When someone says, wait, so you guys are both, you both moved to Chicago. We're not married to be able to say, oh, I'm staying at the Y until you right. get married. And That's that just right. shuts down the innuendo and the yep. gossiping. And it's, yep. so that works on a lot of levels. Yeah. It's, it, it's just one of those things. It's, it's worth doing right. And, and we didn't regret that at all. Uh, the other thing on the sexy pictures, also, you, you, you didn't specify that he wanted you to send him sexy pictures of you. Well, that is true in a key detail. That's a key. <laughs> Let's make sure. <laughs> Say that after dark. Yeah, nope. There, there, <laughs> there is something That is wrong not a with... service we offer. I don't care how much you sign up for Bridgebox. Can you send me some sexy pictures of other people? <laughs> that would be... <laughs> That's a whole different problem. A young Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, I don't know. Baby, <laughs> this here's a photo of white cheddar popcorn yeah, with no. ranch dressing. That's the sexiest thing I can think of. Also, no. None more Florida <laughs> than Jed Brewer. Also, that offends me. Okay. Wow, you did it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Um, there's nothing wrong uh, at all with... Um, for example, dressing in a way that um, is attractive to the person that you're with. Uh, there's nothing wrong with 
you know, uh, being attractive and making yourself attractive to that other person. It's a way of kind of honoring them and and saying, I, I you know, I want you to feel uh, attracted to me, and I I want to feel like I'm presenting myself in a way that's appealing to you and all that kind of stuff. All of that's good. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, there's, there's, you know, there's, we can try and find a way to make that into lustful things or inappropriate things. And there is a line in there somewhere. If the only possible response to this image could be it's on. Yeah. That's pro. We're probably getting into less territory, but as you're saying, I felt really cute in this outfit and I thought, I know you like this color or whatever. That's, You'd have to work pretty hard to get that into lust territory. That's right. But on both of these uh, topics of the the traveling together type stuff and the uh, you know uh, sexy pictures, uh, the the idea on both of those is we're sort of getting into married people type territory. Yep. And rather than saying is that wrong or where's the wrongness i think the question i would ask is why are we not looking at marriage here if if we're heading the question is how much can we act like married people before it's a problem there's another solution there yeah you know let's if if you're ready to be married let's get married if you're not then maybe some of these things can wait uh because we we have other things that we're working on but i think the key thing is to look at, is there a reason that's holding you back to getting married that needs to be examined? I hear this one a lot. I, my career is not in the right place. I haven't got, I have, I've heard this one. Uh, I have to get over my, mar- my, my uh, college debt before I can get married. These kind of nonsense. Uh, we can have other Those are called Ramsey ties. Yeah, exactly right. We we can get into things where our parents or our pastor or whoever has put on all these hurdles we are supposed to get over before we get married. And so you have two people that are married in everything but name, but they can't do that until they get over this mystery hurdle that somebody else and not God has put in their, their path. So I think looking at do we need to move up that timeline or go ahead and get into marriage— if not, then let's work on the things that are pertaining to that, uh, and then we don't have to worry about these issues. I think that's absolutely right, a very important uh, point to make about this. And Jed, I'd love to, to go to you here because I think uh, everything Glenn said there was exactly spot on. And we talked about this a little bit on the last show, however, that there's there's not a hard and fast rule in the Bible about this. The Bible is not saying anything below this amount of skin coverage is we, we've now sinned. Yep. So some of this is going to be uh, drawing boundaries for yourself as an individual. Yep. There's Here's what I'm comfortable doing. And if someone who I'm in a relationship with tries to pressure me beyond what I'm comfortable doing, that's its own problem. Sure. And a very simple one, because then you break up with them, because sure. that's not cool. But then there's, um, maybe with the travel stuff and even the photo stuff, there's, there's what I'm comfortable with, there's what we are comfortable with and coming together on that. And how do we go about finding some of those uh, gray areas when we go into stuff like this? That's a really good question. And we're really glad that you wrote in. Um, I, I sense you feel a yes, little... Yes, do, do not send photos first and then wonder if that was a good idea later. <laughs> that is bad. <laughs> I sense that you feel a little embarrassed about the questions that you're asking. These are great questions. And we're really glad that yep. you sent them in. Definitely. These are questions, as our friend pointed out, everyone who is dating should be asking. Absolutely right. And you've actually hit upon something really important, which is a lot of 
not just in dating, but in marriage, but in dating in your situation, a lot of stuff is questions of degrees. You know, Christians, we get used to the idea culturally that there are black and white rules we can follow. And if we do those, they'll keep us safe. That's not really how this stuff works. You know, to, to Glenn's very correct point, um, it is good and healthy to make yourselves attractive to one another. Uh, that, that's a good thing. You can go too far um, in that and, and in photo documenting it. You can also not go nearly far enough. I mean, at a certain point, if you go around trying to be hideous, that's weird. So, and the, in a sense, there are people who, and we've dealt with a certain amount of this, who put their worst foot forward in relationships as though that were a godly or safe or righteous that's, thing. That's being honest, Jed. No. <laughs> yes, the if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best is not something Marilyn Monroe said, not a great quote, and definitely not a life philosophy. No, super, super bad call. So it's a question of degrees. I mean, you know... um, <laughs> to quote a Supreme Court justice uh, about pornography, I know it when I see it. Um, if you're sending, you know, photos to one another that are obviously pornographic, well, that's uh, that may be a bit far. Uh, if you're attempting to be unappealing to your partner, that's probably a bit far in the opposite direction too. And the the healthy place is going to have to be somewhere in between. Same thing with the travel thing, man. I mean, one of the things that we have to acknowledge is. The thing about avoiding the appearance of evil is that's taking in mind that on some level people are going to think what they're going to think. Mm-hmm. There are people who assume that because the two of you ride in a car together, you are sexually active with one another. There are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, on the other hand, there are people who um, would never think that no matter what you do, even when... Huh, leaving, leaving her place at 5 a.m. I guess he just went over early to pray. This is the thing. This is the thing. So we've got to find a balance in between. And that actually leads to the very last thing that you said in your question. You've actually already solved this for yourself because you said, maybe if I talk to God about it and my boyfriend about it, there would be a way to do these things and honor God. That is the correct answer. This is about prayer and getting wisdom from the Lord for your specific situation, and it's about talking things together through with your boyfriend. And this is far beyond just your dating relationship. I'm with Glenn. You guys are getting, you're edging up on married people behavior, and not in a bad way. It's not like... No, it's not a bad thing. It's not that you're being tempted to do wrong things. It's that you're feeling a relational momentum that is pushing you towards the next phase of the kind of relationship you're in. So it'd be really, really good to look at, do we want to be married to one another? That involves talking, though. And the thing about having a successful marriage is you guys in all kinds of areas of life are going to have to create custom solutions for your own life. You're going to have to create your own approaches to problems and dilemmas and situations. And the only way to do that is through a lot of prayer and a lot of talking to each other. And so that in sense, in that sense, these two situations that you're looking at in your dating life are good training. How do we come together and get on the same page? How do we talk things out? How do we pray both of us and get wisdom from the Lord? How do we create a safe space where we can each say, I feel weird about this. I'm not claiming I'm right. I'm not claiming that's where we need to land. But currently, I feel weird about this, and I want to find a solution where I don't feel weird about it. This is good stuff. This is good. Let's let's button it this way. There's two wrong ways to go, and we want to warn you against both of them. One is to say... XYZ is a thing that I'm pretty sure is wrong and I don't feel comfortable with it, 
but without prayer or talking it through, I'm just going to do it anyway. That's a bad idea. Whether XYZ is ultimately a sinful, immoral thing or not, you shouldn't do that. You should not approach it that yeah, way. Anything apart from faith is sin. There you go. The other bad idea is saying, um, I think XYZ might be sinful, so I don't want to pray about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I'm just refusing to have anything to do with it. That also is a terrible idea. Life is lived in between, healthy, healthy life is lived in between those two things with a lot of prayer, a lot of talking with your partner, uh, and a lot of working things out and coming up with custom solutions that work for the two of you. I think that is all really fantastic stuff. There's a few, few things I, w- I would tack on the end here. One is about the, the concept of legalism. You describe yourself as I'm a little legalistic when it comes to this stuff. And if you recognize that about yourself, recognize that that may be a problem that may be holding you back. That's great. Um, we, we all know a recovering legalist. But you might have a few of them on this show. Hey, but it, it also is worth pointing out what Jed was saying there to discuss legalism, because what makes someone legalistic is not a strict set of behaviors. It's that they decided without getting God involved, without a personal relationship with God involving that, this is how it is. Yep. If you look at the Pharisaical stuff, it's not that they, they what made the Pharisees, uh, what Jesus called them out for is not anything they did. It was about the condition of their heart of, I read the, the books, and then I did five degrees of more strict than that, so I know that that's what holy is without getting God involved in it. That's what makes something legalistic. If someone who doesn't drink, doesn't swear, whatever you think legalistic people do, every behavior on that, there is someone in the world who got there because they got on their knees before God and asked, how should it be? And he told them, more of this, less of that. So we talk about legalism a lot on the show. I think this is a good opportunity to kind of define some terms on that. Legalism is not about, you know, we, we use the shorthand joke of someone wearing a sweater and, you know, all that. But that's not what legalism actually is. Legalism is, I assume that my code of kind of personal morality must be what God thinks about things. And as Jed points out, critically, I'm not going to check and just do that. And that's also where the problems of legalism come up. So and a couple of things on this, this will sound legalistic, but again, this is just uh, an old man talking. Be careful about what you put on your phone, mm-hmm. young people. Mm-hmm. And if you're saying like, I'm not hundred percent sure that's a reasonable, uh, that's a reasonable concern to have. That's not legalism. That's not legalism. That's not prudishness. That's not like, uh, you know, being too goody goody and churchy. If you pray about it, think about it, type and say, okay, we're going to find some lines on this. There's some lines of things that I'm super not comfortable with the dude who works at Verizon being able to see and iCloud being available to you. That again, that's not legalism. That's you thinking through and coming up with a very wise concept. And that's a thing that should play into this, that this getting this good wisdom means getting it on every angle and every conceivable advantage. And on the point of wisdom, I'll say one last thing about the traveling together. A very good idea is because there are ways to do that. And I wrote the blog post on this. You can go in a big group and all the girls stay on the top floor and all the guys stay on the bottom floor. You can get an Airbnb with two bedrooms or get two hotel rooms at a cheaper hotel or whatever it is. There's ways to do that. A really good idea is to find someone, a pastor, small group or someone to just talk some options out with. That's going to give you two things. First of all, it's going to give you some good wisdom on how to do that. You may have someone like Glenn is saying, someone has said, you know, I was in, we were in a pretty similar spot 
and here's what we did, and here are the strengths and weaknesses, and you do this and the other. Here's the other thing that gives you. When, when uh, Sister Ethel at church comes up and says, you know, I saw the pictures on Facebook of uh, you guys you know, on the ski trip. Seems like just the two of you. What was all that? And you say, oh, yeah, you know, we talked to Pastor about uh, what we thought we should do. And he gave us some really good advice. Because that's a shutdown. This, you, the, if you feel the need to say, we should hide this, even if you don't do anything wrong, you have violated the appearance of impropriety. If you say, if you're able to say, yeah, I can see how that would seem wrong. And maybe I understand why you're butting your nose into this, Sister Ethel. But we talked to Pastor and he gave some really good advice and we followed it, meaning we talked to him about it. So you don't get the joy of tattling on us about it. That's a, a good way to um, uh, deal with the appearance of impropriety because as Jed pointed out, the appearance of impropriety is all about, really comes down to would a reasonable person think there's something hinky here, you know? And so a good way to cut that off is to be open about things, to have talked to people about things, and that will really get you a long way on that. We're going to jump to our second question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, I feel like I've lost all hope and peace. It seems like the Christian life is all about suffering for the sake of suffering. I know in some cases this is to draw us close, make us more like Christ, and also suffering is just a fact of life for everyone. But sometimes it seems like God is literally out to get me. I don't see how I can be helpful to others in this state of anxiety. How do you have a sense of joy, peace, or hope for the future when you not only fear the world, but also fear God? And a heavy question, a good question. We're glad you wrote it in. We're glad you you really got into the details. Last week, we talked about how important it is to to hear people out when they Mm. have their dark thoughts. And this is a good lesson on that. When someone specifically ends it with, how can I, how can I uh, fix this? Then yeah. is a good time to give advice, which yeah. that's a green light we've gotten. So, Glenn, where would we start with this? Well, first and foremost, I agree. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, if you and I were having a one-on-one conversation about this, I would say that was a great share. Yes. You did a very—I I believe in rewarding people for getting a hold of what they're going through and wording it well. And as often as we talk about people stealing from us, we should point out one of the reasons we know great share helps. That's what uh, people at very effective recovery groups yeah. will say when someone's gone and really bared it. Yeah. And that's great because it's not saying I'm not evaluating the information. I'm not saying mm. that was a good story. I'm saying you shared and sharing is good. Yeah. You got, yeah, you, you, you got a hold of uh, what you're dealing with and you've articulated it well and, and with good vulnerability. And I think that's awesome. I think you're awesome. So, uh, uh, the, diving into this, uh, you're 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 talking about suffering uh, that you know that uh, suffering is is a fact of life, and I I let's take a slightly different look at that and say that challenges, and when I say challenges, I mean problems and obstacles and struggles and all those things, but things that we, in the broadest sense, would call a challenge of, of really any kind. Challenges are a part of life. Suffering is a state of mind, and we control our mind. We have have choices about that. Now, you want to say, well, okay, so that means something bad happens to you, and you could just be happy about it, so it's all up to you, and you just choose choose to be happy. Well, that's uh, uh, leaving out a lot of detail, and it's also leaving out a lot of reality. When bad things happen to you, you're supposed to say, this is a bad thing, because if you don't, 
now you're crazy. That's that's crazy people talk, you know. I got cancer. Hey, what a great opportunity to get more uh, knowledgeable about the state of cancer research or whatever. That's that is a sign of an unhealthy person. You're supposed to feel upset and you're supposed to feel bad and it's normal to feel anxiety and fear and all those things when things go wrong. That's that's part of life. But what we want to, to, to look at is that the challenge is the part that's inevitable. Our state of mind is something we choose and we control. That means starting with anger or fear or frustration or anxiety, but it also is about moving through that to something else. And uh, so, for example, if uh, let's put this in more concrete terms, I'm I'm on a journey and I I'm trying to get somewhere and I find there's a mountain in my way, just right blocking my path, a giant mountain. Well, I it would be normal and natural and realistic and and even healthy to look at that and say this stinks and I don't like it and I'm frustrated and angry and all of that. That would be normal. But then beyond that, at some point. I am looking at something I can't control, and I'm having feelings about it. And what that means is this thing that I can't control is actually controlling me. The, the mountain is, is imparting a bad uh, attitude onto me instead of me uh, uh, challenging this situation. But if I say, okay, I can't control the mountain, but I can't control my attitude. I can't control what I choose to do next. So what I choose to do is I choose to climb up this mountain. Well, here's the here's what happens with that. When I get to the next mountain, I have less anxiety, fear, frustration, and whatever because I've already climbed a mountain before. I know how to do it. I've developed the skills. I've also developed the muscles and the strength, and I'm I'm able to handle that. So having those challenges, in a sense, strengthens me to handle the next challenge and the next challenge. This is, uh, 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 this is about taking control of the way that we handle these things. It's not trying to control things that can't be controlled. It's saying, what can I control? I can control my attitude. I can control my choices. I can control what I do next. And that's not about having um, no anger at, or, at all. It's maybe more about taking that anger and channeling it into getting up this mountain and saying, okay, the anger in itself is not going to do anything. Let me use this drive, this energy, and let me get kicking up this mountain. Uh, so I think part of what you're, uh, you, you were talking about senseless suffering, and I, I want to circle back to that because uh, there is suffering that we go through that we can't make sense of in the moment. There's a lot of that. I've experienced a lot of that. I can I can say for sure. I can look back on those things and I can make sense of them, and that's great. In the moment, I can't make sense of it. So in the moment, I would say it's senseless. Looking back on it, I would say there was a great purpose behind it, and I can tell a really cool story about that. But it's not going to help you because if you're going through it, it's not going to make sense to you now. But it is important to recognize that God doesn't want us to go through senseless suffering at all. He calls us through times where we will suffer. We go through tough circumstances and tough situations. But if we are, if he's calling us through that 
it's a sacrifice that we make for some good somewhere. If you can't figure out any good for anybody, anything, anytime, any anything, that's actually worth looking at and evaluating. You know, uh, trying to figure out a meaning and a purpose to any life is super important. One that involves some suffering is even more important. Uh, having a sense of what do I do with this challenge? How do I take it on? What choices do I have? Uh, and, and what does my life look like moving forward? That's the important thing on this issue. I think you're absolutely right. And everything Glenn said there is spot on and a great place to jump off. And Jade, where would you take us next? Well, we are so sorry for what you're facing yeah. and what you're dealing with. We, we love you. We're praying for you. Uh, and because we love you, we're going to tell you the truth. What you're describing is not Christianity. Um, the idea, Amen. God hates me. Life is awful. Uh, God is an abuser, uh, but unlike all the other abusers in my life, I have to thank him when he hits me. Um, and amen. That's not Christianity, dude. I, I don't know what that is. And I'm sorry someone told you that because that's a bitter and evil lie. It's not Christianity. And it is something we're pretty sure someone told you because if you just, uh, read the Bible and figured that out on your own, you'd be hard to come to these conclusions. To that exact point, here are two things that Jesus directly says that have to do with you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Okay, so this is about love. Okay, why did he send his son? Here's one of the reasons. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. God wants you to have a rich full life. God wants you to have joy. God wants you to have peace. In fact, the fruits of his spirit within you are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I bet you know the rest of them. What you're describing is not Christianity at all. So it's, that is not meant to change how you feel, but that is meant to give you an anchor point to begin from. Right now you're trying to reconcile, how do I find peace with this unchristianity? You don't. Um, we, we need to start by recognizing that is unchristianity. So if we're going to move forward, we need to figure out in some way how to let that go. Now, here's the next piece is we need to get some help for this journey. Um, and so I want to look at, Glenn gave amazing counts on this. I want to define real quick three separate things that relate to what he's saying. You've got thoughts, you've got feelings, and you've got attitudes. Those are three separate things. We want to look at them for a second because they really matter for your situation. Feelings are something that you have very little control over. You, uh, somebody stubs your, you know, steps on your toe, you feel anger. That comes on you unbidden. You have a choice of what you do with that feeling, but you, you can't really summon feelings at will. Nobody can. Um, and to that end, feelings are neither good nor bad, um, but you, you really don't have a lot of control over them. On the far opposite end, you have attitude. Now, attitude is the interpretive lens through which you choose to see the world. You have massive control over your attitude pretty much complete control over your attitude. It is a decision. It's a moment-by-moment -moment decision, but it's a decision you make about how you're going to interpret events in the world. Um, give you a, a classic choice is an attitude of entitlement versus an attitude of gratitude, which is fun to say because it rhymes. When something good happens in your life, you can choose to interpret it as about time. It's been a crappy week and I'm due for something to happen that's good. Okay, that would be an interpretive lens or an attitude of entitlement. 
that you have chosen to apply to your situation. The alternative is something good happens. Like, that's great. That feels kind of out of left field. And I, that's just awesome. I'm really thankful that happened. That would be an attitude or an interpretive lens of gratitude. It's your choice. It's the same stimulus. The same event happened. It's up to you how you're deciding to interpret that. And again, nobody, the one thing that no other human being can control in this entire world is your attitude. That's the one thing that's really, really up to you. So you got feelings. You have very little control over them. You got attitude. You got a lot of control over that. In between, we have thoughts. All right. And this is just all the stuff running through your head on any given day. You got some control over that. The more you control the attitude, the more you're going to control the thoughts. You never have complete control over your thoughts. That's not really how how life works. But again, so we've got this weird continuum. We've got feelings that kind of come unbidden, very little control. Far opposite extreme, we've got attitude. It's the lens through which we choose to look at the world, and we have a ton of control. In between, we have thoughts, and they are a blend of those things. And the more, in general, that we're able to control our attitude, the more we're able to control our thoughts. Now, here's why I go through all of that. When you reach a point where you say, I am not able to get to a new place with my attitude, like at all, it is stuck on everything sucks. No problem. It's time to talk to somebody. It's time to get some help. It's time to go and see someone that deals with these things. I want to give you two places to start. The first is to talk with your doctor. Um, to talk with your just your general practitioner. Go and sit down with that person. And you don't have to get into the spiritual aspects of it if you don't want to, but talk to them about the fact of I feel like everything is a black hole and I hate everything and I hope the world dies. Um, that that's a conversation they're trained to have. It would be really good to have that conversation with them. The next, and hopefully they'll be able to help you with this is to find a mental health professional that you can talk with on that, uh, through your doctor, that could be a psychiatrist, that could be a counselor or a therapist, but it's time to talk to somebody. If you get to a place and you say, it's not a matter of, I can't control my feelings. I can't control any of this. It's nothing but just wanton destruction between Uh, feelings and thoughts and attitude, and I feel like I can't make any of it move an inch, it's time to reach out and get some help. That's the godly thing to do. That's the thing we want you to do. If you're not sure where to start on that journey, send us a follow-up note. We would love to help you find someone who can help you on this journey, and we don't want you to be worried about cost. We can help you find somebody that's either free or sliding scale, something that you can afford. But to button all that, here's the thing. This darkness that you're describing, it's not Christianity. That's, that is not from the Bible. That's not from the Lord. That is, it's not the truth. It's not the truth about you or about Jesus. The way that you feel right now does not in any way need to be the way that you feel moving forward. That's not to say it's an easy journey. That's not to say we're going to flip a switch and it's different. Those things don't really work that way, but there's help available. There's change available. The Lord's in favor of that. We're in favor of that. We've got your back. Absolutely right. That is all fantastic stuff. We're going to go to our final question here, it came in anonymously that says, I have something that always stumps me when I feel tugged to faith. In college, my religious studies professor presented some information about the dates that the Gospels were written, being about 70 years or so after the disciples actually lived. I've been active in my faith and doubt in ebbs and flows since then. I'll have an experience with God, but then I think about this type of thing, and it makes me feel like I believe in a fairy tale. How do I navigate this? And Glenn, yet another very excellent, very honest Question, where will we start with it? Well, uh, first and foremost, let's say this, that we've all had doubts of every possible kind on this podcast, so that's there's nothing wrong with that. Some of us have been in a very similar college class where the professor was pretty bound and determined to make this point. Yeah, and let's uh, definitely say this. 
uh, a college classroom is not a good place to examine your beliefs. It seems like it is. It's not. Um, there's uh, college is a time of you know uh, exploring new ideas and and looking at the world from a different perspective. It's a time of studying other paradigms, other worldviews, and that's good stuff. And it's 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 going to be enriching to you and all of that. But uh, there are people in your college experience that will take the world's smallest slice of the truth and present it to you as the whole truth and let that do whatever they want it to do. Uh, so, first of all, uh, the, the Gospels were written about 70 years or so after the disciples actually lived. Okay, we have a little bit of a problem here with uh, the way that we're bringing this little truth out. Okay, the Bible uh, that you have today uh, that if you went out and just bought an NIV translation, that translation is based on Greek manuscripts. And when we say manuscripts, we mean a really, 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 really old uh, piece of parchment where they've written down on this scroll the Gospel of Mark or you know the the book the, the letter to the Corinthians and so forth. And um, we have for uh, we have extremely old manuscripts for all of these different uh, parts of the Bible. Uh, we have multiple manuscripts for all different parts of the Bible. So there's multiple different copies. Uh, what what we don't have is the original. We don't have this is the book of Mark written by John Mark. We don't have that. Uh, what we have are manuscripts, which are copies. The oldest manuscript that we have is from 70 AD. So that's the oldest copy that we have. But that doesn't mean the book of Mark was written in 70 AD. 70 AD is, is Qumran. That's uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. That's, that, those are the oldest ones that we have. But uh, th that's a copy from something that was written earlier. Yeah, and they're not trying. It doesn't say signed John Mark. They're not right. trying to pass themselves off as the original. That's right. Glenn, my Blu-ray copy of Gone with the Wind was made in 2014, so that's when that movie was made. It's 2014. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's, right. how, that's how that works. Yeah, and you, you can't say it's just a copy of that movie. It's not real. That, that's, you know, that they've, you know. Gone with the, Gone with the Wind is a lie. They shot it in black and white because they wanted to think it was old. It was actually made in 2014. That's the Blu ray. Well, yeah. a lot of things about Gone with the Wind are a lie. But to, to this point, if the, the only way we knew movies existed was on Blu ray, if someone was trying to make the point yeah. that Gone with the Wind was made in 2014, fr from the point, if the, it would look like compelling evidence. That's right. See, it's written yeah. right here. It's the oldest one we have. Yeah, this is a thing. We can cut through a lot of detail on this by simply saying, there's actually a science to this. There are historians that study this kind of stuff. They study manuscripts, and they study. This is a. This is the oldest copy of of the Odyssey, the or Odyssey, or whatever those things are. But what there there's a science to the way those those things are actually studied, so that they compare different copies that exist in different areas that have different ages and they see how well they agree with each other and line up. This is the thing. If there was a copy of the Gospel of Mark that utterly did not agree with another copy of the Gospel of Mark, 
or left out some important passage or something, it would be in every headline, and yep. your your religious studies professor would be crowing about that to no end. If we're pulling little threads out like the oldest manuscript is from 70 AD, and I'm letting you think it was written in 70 AD as opposed to that copy was written in 70 AD, then we're going to have a little bit of where we're, we're, we're leaving some details out and letting you draw a conclusion there. So let's, let's, uh, let's not look for truth in, in that area. Uh, let's also then take all of that, set that aside. Let's just look at what we're trying to get into. What we're trying to get into is a relationship with God. You cannot scientifically work out anything in any relationship. It's all a matter of faith. You can say, well, okay, this I've been dating this woman, and she's been very kind to me. We've been through all sorts of different ups and downs, and uh, she's not perfect, and I'm not perfect, but we've determined that we have handled things uh, with a level of maturity and health, and we've learned and grown in that, and we've changed ourselves to be better at things. And so based on that, I believe that this person would be a good person to get married to. That's a leap of faith. You don't know what that is. Uh, you, you, there's no scientific proof that this person loves you and they, they will be a good spouse. It just does not work that way. It works the exact same way in your relationship with God. You can't prove that he loves you. You can't prove that he exists. You can't prove that this manuscript is whatever, whatever, whatever. All of that, we, we have evidence shooting out our ears, but it comes down to a relationship where we step out in faith. Here's the point I'm driving towards on this. The thing about Christianity is you, uh, you, you follow God, and you get into this relationship first, and then the knowledge happens. It's not the other way around. If your thought is, let me gather all sorts of knowledge, and all that knowledge will add up to either fairy tale or God, and I will then know that truth, and then I will go from a state of pure knowledge into a perfect relationship with God without any doubt or any faith involved in that. It would just be pure reason. Ah, that gnosis, if you will. That is the fairy tale. <laughs> that's the thing that's not going to exist ever. We follow God first, and then we find out who He is. Then we, His character is revealed to us. We 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 enter into this relationship. Then we feel the love, and we know that love is there, and we know that it is real, and we know that He is real, and that and then we read what it says of the Bible and. It's confirmed to us because we've already experienced it in our own existence. We, everything else, we learn our way into it, and then we experience it as uh, through that knowledge. This, we experience it first, and the knowledge comes second. And I think that's something we have to try and uh, get comfortable with. And in an academic environment, that's a little bit tough. Absolutely right. I think that's all really fantastic stuff. And Jed, I think... Uh, what our friend is writing in here and what Glenn is, is pointing to there is no one, um, whoever the greatest Christian or non-Christian thinker you can think of ever arrived at so much knowledge that faith wasn't 
the issue one way or the other. And part of faith is that it is, I, I can have no other faith than my faith. Sure. In the sense of, I think, part of the shakiness of that can feel like a shakiness in myself. Mm-hmm. If the only evidence, which is not exactly the right word, but I think you know what I'm driving at here, is my own experiences and interpretations. What if that's a shaky lens to see things through and this over here seems so objective and agreed upon. So how do we push through that idea of accepting the personal? Mm, that's a great question. Well, I think it involves a certain amount of, of humility on our parts. There's actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible is in John chapter 9. And it's my favorite story because it has to be real given how human it is. So the story is there's a dude who's blind and Jesus heals him. And you would think this would lead to a huge celebration where everybody's happy and there's cake and there's parties and there's clowns and whatnot. No, everybody's unhappy. Everyone, other than the dude who was blind, everyone in this story finds a way to be unhappy about what has happened. A, that's like a Coen Brothers movie. Sure. And B, I love it because that's what would actually happen. Quiet, Jerry. This isn't about you. This is 100%. This is reality. This is what would happen. And there's a pivotal, there's a pivotal moment where there's some religious leaders who, for a bunch of technical reasons, are really incensed that Jesus has healed this man. They're offended, which again, I grew up as a preacher's kid. That's truth. You could walk into a church and raise the dead and sister Mildred would be pissed. And that's what we've got going on here. So because they are the way they are, the religious people, they don't go after Jesus. They go after the dude who was healed. They're going to press their case to him, which again, that's 100% how this would happen. Yep. This, this is incredible. Uh, and, and they say, well, besides and so forth, and what and did he and, what, and, when he, and when he healed you, did he follow the XYZ rule or was he on this ABC stuff? And dude, finally, this is the most important part of the whole story. He finally just goes, I don't know. All I know is I was blind. My eyes didn't work. Then, Alakazam, I can see. That's the part I know. I love that. That's amazing. And here's the thing about that. To some extent, I think that's the story of faith for all of us. I was one kind of person, and God came along and did something, and now I'm a different kind of person. I have been changed by an encounter with God. That's definitely true for me. Matt rightly brought up, um, you know, isn't that shaky? Oh, I'm I'm as shaky as they come. I, I to be honest, there's days where I feel like, wow, it's a miracle. I'm still doing this. I can't believe it. That doesn't change the fact I'm not who I used to be, man. Yep. Um, I, I'm just not. I don't care if you take my word for it or not. <laughs> I was there, and I am not that guy. If you got a better explanation. I'm open to hearing it, but this is the best one I've got so far. No doubt. I've been doing this work for a long time, and I've seen what I believe to be the power of God work that same kind of transformation in the lives of a heck of a lot of other people. I have seen some force in the universe. To me, it's God produce miracles in the lives of people who shouldn't be alive right now. They're doing great. They're doing fantastic. Again, maybe your religion professor has a better explanation for that. There's plenty of smarter people in this world than me. That's not a high bar to clear. But for me, something changed me. 
I'm pretty sure it was God. Plus, I've built a relationship with whatever entity it was that transformed my life, and it's continuing to transform my life. I, if you want stuff about theological minutia, I'm not your guy. I don't know why you'd want it, but I wish you well on your quest. I'm also not the guy for it. If you want to know about, have you ever been changed by a power greater than yourself and transformed into a new kind of life? Yeah, I do know about that. I have lived that out and my friends have lived that out. My family's lived that out. Um, There's not really anything you or anybody else can say that can take that away. Because uh, I, I lived it. I was there and I, and I choose to keep on living it one day at a time. And it takes back to where Glenn started us with love. That's how all relationships work. Um, I know that the fellows on this podcast love me. There's not a way for them to prove that to me, but I, I know it is true. It was true yesterday. It is true today. I plan to wake up tomorrow with full confidence that it will be true then. You could try and argue me out of it, but I'm living it out. I'm the one experiencing the love. And plus, I kind of like the reality I've got for myself. Let me know how your thing works out for you. That's exactly right. One more thing, Glenn? Just, just to say, you know, the Bible says, along the lines of what Jed's saying here, the Bible says, taste and see the Lord is yep. good. It's not see and taste. Yep. You know what I mean? You taste it, you'll know it. It's not like you can know what it tastes like till you taste it. Yep. You know, and, but but I think we we want to have that knowledge first in, mm-hmm. in a funny kind of way. I think you're absolutely right. And there's, there's an issue here of uh, something Glenn would call the question behind the question. So there's the question about our, if someone could, yes, if someone could conclusively prove that the, oh, that the, oldest man, the original manuscripts of the gospel were created only in a hundred AD. Yes. Everyone who believes in Jesus and believes in those books would have to re-examine because, but you can't prove that by the way, ask any actual archeologist or uh, ancient historian. That's not how documents work. And, but there, and there's nothing wrong with looking at that. And if someone makes that claim and you look at the, 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 the science and the academia of that, as Glenn was talking about, that comes some of that comes down to copies of that. Uh, some people would also make the point that um, there's a lot less evidentiary support for the existence of people like Julius Caesar than there are different sources of biblical stuff. And if you, 170 years is actually not that big a gap as far as ancient manuscripts. Like to go back to Caesar, the the kind of definitive other than his own autobiographies, the definitive kind of source on him was written by a guy named Plutarch, like a hundred years after Caesar died. So that's kind of a little bit of that's how ancient history works. And none of this is outside the bounds of that, but none of that answer is going to push you through the issue behind that issue of faith. Now it's, it's good to look at that stuff, to learn, to, to have an answer to that question for yourself, but there's still another step about just kind of that moving to that faith thing. And, and on this idea of this is going to have to be about you, there's a quote I love from a guy I talk about, I've talked about a lot on the show named Frederick Buechner, who says, theology, like fiction, is largely autobiographical. Mm-hmm. I think about that a lot because it comes down to stuff like this, but also comes down we talk about, you know, people get into theological minutia, this desire for, I want something that is so bulletproof and perfectly formed and undeniable that I, as Glenn is pointing out, I can exist outside it, and observe it, and then decide to get on board. That is just fundamentally not the way faith, and particularly the Christian faith, 
works. It is autobiographical and it is uh, something you experience. It's not something you can read your way into or reason your way into. And that is by design. We all have days and it sounds like you may be having one who wrote this in. Would we really wish that wasn't the case? We all want, uh, you know, just the big book that proves this is what it is. And then we can just move on with that. But that's not what we're, what we're called to do. And Jed made a, a point in one of our earlier questions about the lens through which you seek to contextualize your life. And I, I look at the question you wrote in, and yes, there's, I, I've had doubts that ebb and flow in. That's true for absolutely everybody. Um, but you say, I have these experiences and I feel this tug toward faith. I think I would argue that is far more, I would give far more weight to that than I read something and I doubt. Because everybody reads stuff and, and doubts about it. To that, I have that tug and I can't quite shake this. And there's just that tuning fork going on. I, I wonder how you might reprioritize things if you just leaned into that for a little while. And again, that doesn't, doesn't mean you ignore questions and doubts. We're glad you wrote in. We're happy to answer. This, it's a very wise thing to look at that. But faith is something you're going to have to experience for yourself. And when it, you are experiencing it for yourself, which it sounds like you are, um, it's, it's okay to rest in that as opposed to trying to undercut it in a way that kind of proves it to yourself. So all great questions this week. And if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com if you'd like to keep it anonymous. We're going to have a song this week, give you a little Lee Younger fix. And this is uh, from this month's Bridge Boxes, a song by Lee called Cast My Cares. Hey, got that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast is like ranch dressing and white terror popcorn for your soul. I will cast my kiss on you right now. All I cannot bear, I am laying down. When I am weak and don't know what to do. Easy